I'm Riggs Eckleberry, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Origin Clear. The government needs to continue to provide a lot of abundant, clean water. But what happens to it after it's used, when it's dirty? Do you know that 80% of all sewage is never treated, it's just dumped? That leads to water scarcity, but it also leads to a lot of disease and pollution, the ocean turning into something horrible. At the same time, the cities and counties are not getting the funding they need to really treat the water. And so they can't keep up. The solution is let the people who use the water clean the water. Water on demand is investment in actual capital assets that earn income. Sign up to hear my weekly briefing every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Just put oc.gold slash CEO in your browser, register for the briefing, and I look forward to hearing more from you. And welcome everyone to the CEO briefing. And I'm so happy to see you here today. It is Thursday, August 18th. And I'll put that up on screen shortly. It is briefing number 174. And of course, it's about water's new gold. But specifically, I mean, you know, we like to say water's new gold, water's new gold. Why? Because it's an asset. And unlike gold, it actually earns money. So this is a, it's a beautiful thing. So we're going to jump right in now. By the way, we're jam-packed. I had a whole bunch of stuff about inflation and recession and this and that. Not this week. We have stuff. It's origin clear, specific, very exciting. So we're going to put all of that economic trend stuff for another week. Okay. Well, because we are the most transparent company, public company in America, I thought you could watch what the board saw on Monday, uh, just prior to our second quarter filing. So I'm going to go ahead. You are the board. Okay. Um, so uh, we're at the finish line, in other words. Uh, no new critical accounting policies uh, were adopted in the current period. Um, the accounting estimates that are, are the largest estimates in the financial statements continue to... Uh, it will, I'll go through this PowerPoint. That'll worry. It'll be easy for you guys if I read it that way. Okay, here we go. So review status, I just commented where we're at. Uh, no restrictions on the scope of the work. and We're not aware of any illegal acts, fraud, or conflicts of interest during our, during our review. You guys want to go to the next stage? Here we go. Um, just talking about the fact that we consider internal control, but we don't rely on internal controls for our testing or do substantive testing. Also, um, during a review, we do inquiry and analytics, uh, and then we, we, we do do audit procedures on uh, areas that are more subjective, typically to errors such as new revenue items, um, derivatives, uh, classification of preferred stock for you guys, things of that nature. We do all of that during the review. So we can go on to the next slide. Okay, you can see here is just a, a pie chart of, of the majority of our testing and you'll see a lot of it is preferred stock, um, equity testing, um, <clears throat> things of that nature, which makes sense for this, for this particular company. That's the engagement team, um, been the same now for several years, myself as the in charge, Stephanie as the, um, Stephanie, as the kind of day-to-day, -day, she has a staff or two underneath her that helps her with the engagement. And then uh, Jay uh, independently oversees the entire audit process. Uh, results of the review, we're not aware of any material modifications needed to conform and gap. Um, so, uh, and that basically means we're at the finish line here. No significant new uh, accounting policies were adopted or unusual transactions. Okay, um, I think we just talked about not having new accounting policies and usual transactions, and we also had no consultations with other CPAs or auditors either. We'll add that to it. Uh, we're not aware of any errors or irregularities. Uh, the largest judgments and accounting estimates in our mind still continues to be the valuation of derivative liability, location of equity transactions, and then of course any allowance that would be necessary for AR. Uh, what are the issues that you see? Don't see any issues. Uh, they're just the, the key estimates that are inherent in the financial statement. So we were required to discuss what we think are some of the larger estimates in the financial statement. So um, no issues with those other than they're just you know, inherently complex areas in the financial statement. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, as I stated before, we've reviewed Form 10-Q and is ready to go at this time. And uh, really positive response here. There were no review adjustments or no proposed past adjusting journal entries. So uh, that's a, 
that's a really good step from where we were a couple of years ago. No disagreements with management, no consultation with other accountants, no major issues discussed prior to our, our uh, prior to our retention. In other words, this is not a marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we provide no uh, advisory services. Um, if we were to do anything other than what we already do in terms of, of our attestation work as an auditor, we would get approval from the board prior to uh, prior to doing that, as it could impact our independence. Uh, no deficiencies in the internal control structure, and of course, no fraud, no uh, fraud or illegal acts were uncovered. Just talked about the fact that we're independent and uh, what would impair independence. Um, that's probably all I want to say about that. <clears throat> okay, and uh, we're happy now to open it up to questions, comments, concerns. Uh, I usually read it from the SAS 90 letter, so I apologize for my tardiness, but but. Um, Overall, I thought the uh, I thought the audit the accounting team did a, did a good job. Um, obviously, we're here to file in. We had no adjusting general entries. Um, also, pleased to see revenue up for the company this quarter as well. So that's always positive. But uh, I'll shut up now and, and take any questions or comments that uh, the committee may have. It, it, you know, I, I usually like to ask something technical, but I, it's you've answered more. What what is the the difference this quarter? Is it Prasad getting involved with all the, uh, uh, the esoteric accounting with these derivatives and preferreds and all that is, is that's what's, I mean, we've been aiming for this for a long time and I'm just, Yeah, no, I, I definitely think Prasad, Prasad has been a big help for the company for sure. I also think that everyone's just getting more familiar with the transactions um, and how they're accounted for. So I think the combination of the combination of those things and, and getting information to us a lot earlier, uh, the, the accounting team than what we used to get it in the past. So those have all been uh, all been huge improvements. And and the job, uh, excuse me, the job costing side. Yeah, they you know the company's always done a pretty good job on the job costing side and keeping up with the percentage of completion accounting. So I I don't know that we've ever had a, an adjusted journal entry on that. Um, we look at it real heavily at year end. We confirm. Um, with the customers that you're in where the where they're at in terms of completion and cost that was incurred, but they've, they've typically done a pretty good ear, job in that area. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah, That's Tony, really good progress. Just like to add something from my side, in regards to the percentage of completion, we're actually taking it one notch up. We are now aiming for a monthly revenue recognition, which we had missing because of lack of, you know, members, right? Right. Relying on the external accountant. Um, we do have a new person uh, at McKinney, a full charge bookkeeper, and also a contractor helping us out with tracking the job costs on a timely basis, but also tracking with all the material cost of invoices and everything. So this, in fact, will be our first month where we'll be reporting uh, revenue on a monthly basis as well going forward. So that's that's definitely a significant improvement on our side. Oh, no, no, that's... Look, if, if, from an operational standpoint, that's a big KPI. So it, they're kind of meaningless if you can't do them monthly. Right, and, exactly. And uh, you know, the fact that, that, that you're headed that way, that will make the quarterlies and the annuals way right. easier to do. So Absolutely. You know, I applaud the, the investment by the company and the leadership by you and, uh, and Riggs and everybody else involved. So good, it's all good news from my perspective. Thank you. So um, I, I do like the numbers that we're seeing. Uh, second quarter revenue is up almost 300% over last year. Um, we have a gross profit almost 300% as well from 176,000 to 685,000. So that's very well, well done. Revenue for the half year is also up. Basically we are, um, we've now achieved in a half year what has been the standard for entire previous years. So that is good. Also loss from operations is narrowing, um, even though we continue to develop these new initiatives. So I think um, the fundamental numbers are looking good as well. Does that help with your financings, Rig? No, PR, <laughs> none of it. <laughs> it's, it's just a sales pitch. It's all you. Uh, no, no, no. It's actually, it, it, in any case, we're not just aspirational, right? That we actually are doing something. But no, seriously, we had, we doubled our sales last year. Yeah. Revenue was flat. And now, of course, revenue is catching up to that doubling. And it's showing basically a doubling. So 
So we're, we're seeing a, an acceleration in sales. The one, um, the one thing that obviously we got to watch out for is, you know, we sell like crazy, deliver like crazy, and then we have to go back and sell like crazy. So, you know, evening that out, that out is going to be the challenge, but we'll manage our way through it. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so Prasad is getting closer and closer to recognize revenue in real time. Uh, in other words, 10 days after the close of each month, which is extremely uh, vital to us. Yeah, well, good. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Prasad, Eric, and the audit team for their help with this. It was extremely, uh, Gwen Duffy, it was extremely smooth. Um, there were there were no tears this time, which was good. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had a couple clients that have actually made Stephanie cry over the years. She's been with me. She's been with me for ten years now. Uh, you guys are not one of them, though. So. <laughs> Please well, report that. I don't think well, we. I, I think Riggs long. was talking about himself. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. We, we cry as auditors sometimes too. Believe me. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure Eric must be thinking that, well, you guys, I cry. I just don't show my tears. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just remain quiet here while you guys assume everything goes smoothly. <laughs> so, well done, everyone. Uh, thanks to the board. Any further questions before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. No, thank you. None of my end. Appreciate everyone's support and uh, Prasad and the team, all the help. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, all right. everyone. Take Thanks care. Everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Casey Kinchin, of course, was the lead auditor on the call. Tony Fidelio, he's really a very strong CFO. So he was the one on screen talking about the conditions. And of course, you saw Prasad with the similar background to what you see right now. So really great. And um, we're going to get into this issue of recognized revenue. By the way, a word that was used, KPI, Key Performance Indicator. That's very important. And also GAP, generally accepted accounting principles. Those are a couple of abbreviations used just so it gets you up to speed on that. And I will let uh, Ken respond to Shannon Palumbo, who's got a wonderful question about investments, et cetera. And I will be continuing. I am going to go straight into another video. And we now have the, today's interview with uh, Tom Marchesello about what we accomplished. So let's go ahead and get into it. Here we go. All right. Well, hi, Tom. It's Thursday the 18th, and this has been an exciting week as we have announced we filed on Monday our quarterly filing. And um, I'm going to go ahead and share our announcement, which was that our revenue was up 240% uh, over the same time last year. Uh, gross profit increased 288%, almost three times. Um, and then on the, uh, the half year, 155% increase and also gross profit increased. And the important thing also, we, know, we always want to say that we are continuing to invest in water on demand, which creates a loss, but that loss has dramatically reduced by about 38% compared to the same period last year. So that's good news too. The other thing that is not in this announcement, somehow, I'm not sure, is that when you look at the half year revenue, right down here, here we go, 4.4 million. That is literally more than the entirety of last year, which was $4.1 million in revenue. So that's, um, that's pretty stunning. So we are on track, though the forecast for this year uh, is that we'll do about 7.2. You and I know it's hard to say what the second half will show for revenue. Um, easy to tell what it'll show for, for, for sales. But um, this is pretty cool news. Yeah, it's amazing. It's great. I'm very proud of the team, what the company's been doing. It's like we've been working hard and it's now showing. Well, you know, last year, things kind of woke up in August when, when we got the big uh, you know, utility sale, that $5 million utility sale, and, and it just accelerated from there. It seemed like from this middle of the year onward, things just started revving up, uh, both progressive water and mo modular water. Um, so what what do you think happened? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's three things. Number one, we got better as a company. We started doing our jobs better. We added new talent to the team that allowed us to produce a better product more efficiently, and then also reach out to our customer base and tell them about all our capabilities. And then they started ordering more. The market itself picked up 
mm. which was great for domestic orders in the United States, where people were really seeking a U.S.-based manufacturer and producer of these pieces of equipment. Mm. And then there's just a trend in place, I think, for the water industry and infrastructure industry, which is a prevailing topic, which you've been covering a lot, you know, with the administration and where the government's at. So I think these three things have lined up perfectly for us. And then we positioned ourselves to where the hockey puck was going. And now we're hitting. Well, Tom, you manage two very different businesses. On the one hand, Progressive Water is, you know, custom solutions. You know, what do you need? We'll do it. And they're incredibly good at that. In fact, three weeks ago, we were celebrating their 25th anniversary. And, uh, you know, they were already 17 years in business by the time we acquired them. So they've been around a long time. They have a reputation. Um, But it's a very different business from Modular Water, which we launched in 2018, which we're trying to design to be very standardized, right? Right. So um, where, I mean, what, okay, tell me a little bit about the challenges of continuing to expand progressive as opposed to continuing to expand modular. Absolutely, yeah. As you said, you know, progressive water had a very traditional business, you know, so, you know, Mark's dad had run the business for, you know, 20 some odd years before then Mark took on the second generation of it for the last 25 years. So you got 40 some odd years here, these guys in Texas doing this core water treatment business, right? With reverse osmosis and, you know, filtration business. It's a very hands-on business. Mm-hmm. Very takes a lot of brain thought match with the hands-on skill to make that equipment. And you have to think on your feet, boom, 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 always trying to produce. So guys sought us out because we had that fabrication and quick ability to service. And that business requires a lot of supply chain. You got to order the parts. You got to then kind of keep finding the parts. You got to put them together in real time, test it out, get it to the customer. And you're always continuing to do a couple builds at a time while I won't call it inventing. I would call it troubleshooting. Troubleshooting can slow you down a little bit, right? And uh, that business uh, requires a lot of manual labor because there's a lot of a lot of things that get assembled and welded and, and fabricated. So it's only going to grow so fast, constrained by how big is your facility, how many people do you have to do all that work. So you know that's a that's an easy way to think about progressive. Now that business though is healthy. It's a healthy business. It's a it's a good industry build, and it's I would call it the core reflective of how the old traditional industry was set up mm-hmm. heading into this new wave of you know 2022 so it's it doesn't change as quickly as maybe some of the new modern technologies like that's coming off the modular water side so uh, true and of course it's hard to get you know volume purchases of one specific item because it's so versatile you know it'll be a little too custom different kinds of things but one piece of really good news is that we saw the consumables business grow to roughly, you know, roughly three hundred thousand uh, dollars a month. Um, June was was you know, great four hundred thousand. But the point is, is we're we're dramatically increased. Um, our consumables alone are roughly what we were doing entirely as a per quarter as a company not too long ago. Right. Well, we made that choice. We wanted to push filters and membranes and screens and some of the consumable products that are easier because then we order out of the supply chain. We then try to do just-in-time delivery. We're now getting into the position of being able to hold a little bit of inventory of some of those products as well when we get good deals. That allows us to get a little bit of buying power. And then we can have faster delivery out to the customer. And then we become a go-to place because they know, hey, I can call these guys and they have that product, right? Or they can get it for me. And that's kind of the easy you know, replacement parts, you know, kind of business on consumables, which is great. We really want to be there. That's also allowed us to think about other things we can do that are similar. Well, what you're saying also, I think, is that it creates that ongoing relationship that lines us up for a potential larger project, right? I mean, there there we are. And then, oh, here's an RO job. We were already supplying the reverse osmosis filters, then boom, we'll do the job potentially. Right. Yeah, you want the tail, right? There's a long tail to these business. If I sell somebody a, a piece of equipment for four hundred thousand bucks, you know, I can sell them twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of filtration replacement parts per year, and do that for ten years. And there's a nice recurring revenue model for us, you know. And we'll pick up our margin in there. But then the more I do that, the more I get buying power back to my supply chain. 
So then we can profit a little bit better over time. Well, before we move on to MWS, I want to talk a little bit about supply chain. I know that there's some difficulties, but how well are we managing supply chain issues? We're getting better. Uh, supply chain issues got very challenging over the course of the last 12 months uh, for everybody. I mean, it wasn't just us, but you know, basic basic parts from all the way from materials from steel to copper got challenging and expensive to sourcing complex pieces of machinery like pumps. So mm. pumps and electronics control packages got very expensive, very scarce. Supply chain lead time went from six to eight weeks up to 16 weeks. I mean, these are massive differences in time. So it did put a lot of pressure back on us to have to order quicker and pay more. So neither of which we like, but that's the reality of things. We have just recently seen probably the beginnings of a little bit of easing of that problem. Oh, good. But not a lot yet. And I think for major suppliers and larger corporations, they are reporting that they're seeing a little bit of improvement. You know, like even Tesla, you know, Elon Musk reported they they saw some improvement for some of the supply chain issues. It doesn't hit us yet because we're small guys, but I think it's coming. Uh, I'd like to see some of it catch up. I think it'll take another year to work its way through. Well, and that and that really affects our ability to do what's called recognized revenue, right? And for our audience that doesn't know what it is, we might make a sale. It's a million dollars, but we can only recognize it as revenue as these milestones are attained. So, okay, first 10% comes in, we deliver what's required for that 10%, like some drawings, let's say, right? Now we can count that 10%. And but, uh, but now you're stuck with a machine, let's say you're at 60 or 70% machine in the shop. It requires a part to then get that next milestone and you're Correct. waiting and that recognized revenue is held hostage, which is why it's so amazing. We got almost triple uh, of our, of our revenue, revenue this year. So it's stunning, really. Yeah, it definitely, uh, you're spot on as to how that, how that process works. It is good that we did have so much success and you know, we had, grown our sales pipeline and knew that we'd have to do multiple projects. The way we hit that is we ended up with a lot of projects running concurrently. So normally we would have had the shop floor kind of doing a batch of a few machines out the door than the next batch. Mm-hmm. This time we had about double the amount of machines being built on the floor concurrently. And then they were just, some of them were just waiting for parts then to get out. So what we did is we were holding the products build a little longer than usual. Mm-hmm. We'd be able to book in enough of it while we waited for some of the parts and then putting them together as the parts came in and then getting them out the door. So it was a little unusual, but you know, we just managed our way through it as best we could. So parallel action, I'll tell you, that's that's very smart. Um, well, excellent. Now let's let's turn to modular water, which um we know is a different sort of business. Um, we, we've got basically four products, Avera Treat, which is in-ground, Avera Skid, which is containerized, Avera Box, which is the equipment buildings. Yeah. Uh, and finally, we have the Avera Mod, which is the pump stations. Yeah. And um, so what's happening with all those lines of business and uh, how are we doing? We're doing really well. So on the modular water side of things, you know, that was uh, kind of being led up by Dan earlier, our genius engineer. Uh, we put a big team around him. I said small team around him uh, that actually had a couple other engineers and production uh, guys and, and project managers. So we could continue to build out that core. So we took our standardized designs. We really finished up all that. And then we basically made improvements to them and in pricing, you know, improved our margin on those. And then we took the whole thing and started presenting it more to our, our network of our reps, as well as our partners, uh, showing them what, these standardized products can do. Uh, people love them. They are like, just like, wow, these are amazing. This is exactly what we're looking for. The sizes are right. The pricing is excellent and the quality is there. And now the guys are able to build these machines and quote these machines much quicker. Uh, so now we're having much faster turnaround and responsiveness to everybody so that we can produce more of this product line over and over again. And they're, they're going to hit the same general size and configurations because they're standardized. So there's a, a lot less thinking on our end as to engineering it. I always had to figure stuff out, a lot less brain damage, so to speak. And now we just basically go and execute. So now we're into execution mode on how do we do this and scale it. Well, I was talking to a potential partner um, that actually what they are is that they're in the energy business and they do water um, stuff on the side, sort of as a combo. So they try to delegate the water. And 
and I, I was telling him, look, it's 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 kind of cool that um, what we have this auto configure software that Dan's invested in tremendously, so that you know because these are standardized designs, plugs in the numbers and it pushes it out. But even that requires you know somebody putting numbers in and so forth. So let's give a shout out to some of the people. We started with Rob Litos, who was uh, came in what a, a year and a half ago, something like that. Thinking two years ago, we brought Rob in. Rob had a long relationship with Dan. Uh, you know, uh, was an independent contractor. We brought him in under the progressive side of things uh, early, and then we moved him over to the modular water team, so that it's him and Dan were really you know making things happen uh, for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Now we added to it. We've got. Um, Mark Mazaket was our yeah, next. Mark Mazaket, who's showing an amazing, um, uh, so thorough, really thorough work uh, that I'm seeing out of him, right? Yeah, he's an amazing engineer, had tremendous industry experience, and was just perfect for our product line. Like, just really understood the wastewater treatment environment and molestation environments. Just very detail oriented guy, fast worker, smart, good process. Uh, really enjoyable to work with when, you know, with the customers and on the phone and, and, in, and we send them out for deployment and activations as well. So he's very versatile, very capable man. And uh, who else is coming into the picture for, uh, to help Dan? We have Bill Maynard coming now. I just, uh, he accepted his offer. So he'll become a permanent uh, employee w- with our team as well. Uh, he's been working with us in a consultant capacity for some time. Again, industry veteran, very talented. And, uh, you know, he has really good, I would consider it, you know, project management as well as customer engagement skills. Uh, so he's going to be very critical for us to, you know, tap into some markets and also explain, you know, what our products do and get them, you know, done. He's, he's helped me with one of my toughest projects recently. I've been, I've been actually working with him direct on trying to get, you know, some really challenging projects completed. And he is, he's the kind of guy who rolls up his sleeves and just, gets out there and does it. That's really impressive. Well, I mean, you know, with, with, as we announced, uh, you know, our, um, the May sales by Modular Water were the equivalent of the entire last year. And so all of a sudden you've got a more than 10X increase in business for Dan. And, and frankly, he was getting, he was turning into a bottleneck, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you never want to see anybody struggle because, you know, we're growing so fast and we didn't have enough support around them. And that that was happening. So it's like, you know, when some customers are saying, hey, I can't get a hold of Dan early for two, three days, you know, and then it becomes like four or five days. You're like, the reason is because he's working his butt off on on the work, right? Sure. You know, so then I'm running some interference and then I got to, you know, start assigning the projects down to the new engineers I hire. So it just took a little bit to kind of unclog it a bit, reset some process and, it was more than just people. We we had the people. And then two processes really made a massive difference. One of them was the hire you made for Prasad on the finance side, who's really stepped up and made tremendous differences. Now we've added an extra accountant, a new process for billing and invoicing and all the QuickBooks stuff. That's awesome. That helps a ton. And then the other side of things was the process we put in place just with the team. So we have new project management tools, new toolkit, New checklists. We have you know, using different collaboration tools as well as you know our sharing folder systems. So now the team itself is actually running the project better. The financial side of it, like knowing how we cost our parts and get our supply mm-hmm. chain got a lot tighter, so we could do procurement better. So all of that stuff really connects now, it's from the moment of making a sale to then getting it booked and then ordering your parts and then getting it over to production. And in that space. If you're not doing, you know, efficient uh, business, it becomes a bog, and you can really get caught up in those details that just will hound you. So now we're working our way through all those processes, and we go back and we recycle, and we try to make the next cycle better than the last, and lessons learned. So the team gets together and discusses what we need to do, but we also do a little review on, hey, why'd that go good or bad? Then let's let's do better the next time. That's really great. Yes, the finance, uh, you know, Prasad Tare coming in, uh, gosh, almost 18 months ago now, really make, made a big difference. Uh, David uh, over uh, in, in accounting is proven to be yeah. very, uh, in addition to the existing team. 
But I think that's really starting to make it all come together. I wanted to spend a few minutes, uh, not to take this too long, but I want to discuss the pump station business and where, why they think that's great and where it's going. I love the pump station business. Honestly, it's, it's one of the most exciting, awesome product lines we have for something so simple, right? It's like, it's funny because like, you know, as, as technology guys, you know, that really like things, you know, you think of pedestrian style technologies yeah. as, oh, that's so basic. The telephone was so basic. And then now we look at our smartphones and we're like, oh my God, smartphones. Pump stations are kind of the same way. There's like water went into a hole in the ground. <laughs> Stormwater drain, right? Is a hole, right? But then it became a tank system buried in the ground. And now a lift station is a tank system buried in the ground with a pump in it and some treatment on site. So you could treat the water right in that moment and then move it on its way. So now that's the, the a pump station, lift station. And the materials it's made out of isn't just old concrete, which you know gets corroded. Now it's made out of high density plastics. It's environmentally safe. It's easy to install. Now you have the, a complete change to the way the industry can do this ubiquitous thing, which are these lift station pump stations, which go into hundreds of thousands of locations. This is the kind of thing that's everywhere. You drive down a road and you see stormwater going into some you know, basin or underground, it's going somewhere. And often it's going into a lift station or a pump station. You don't necessarily recognize it yet, but if you look into any city planning or any infrastructure planning, especially around where new development's coming, they've got to lay all this infrastructure in place and then they can build shops and homes and all the stuff around it. Or if they're going back to rebuild anything, old infrastructure, they're going to replace all these things. What we found was any city at any moment in time is dealing with at least a thousand lift stations just in their town. And then you multiply that across all the places that are doing it. So case millions. Point, millions. Millions of these things, right. So we have one city in Kansas, which we, you know, we had a partner out there that was dealing with literally tens of thousands of lift stations and pump stations, of which there are thousands earmarked for replacement. Thousands of them because they're old, 30, 40, 50 year old, and they need to be replaced. What happens and when they get old? They break and they leak. And then they basically, the way they had to do it was they had to dig them out. And in a big hole, they have to re-pour concrete, wait for it to set, then try to do all the connections again. You know, or they have to do two holes at once, old one, new one. Now it's like, no, no, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to be four to six weeks on site. You can be three days on site. And you can just pop a new one in, right? That's a big difference for them. Like as a sleeve, basically. Yeah. So this is a big difference. And so we're customizing sizes that work as quick replacement parts in those types of environments. That allows us now sell four at a time, not one, right? Because I can produce four to eight at my factory, get them on trucks, roll them to site. I could even have some in inventory. And now I've got quick supply chain for this critical piece that you know causes a lot of problems in the real world. You know, so it's a really interesting thing. What made that happen was our modular, you know, kind of concepts of prefabrication, pre-designing, standardization, you know, then where this goes, where this goes is exciting because now, as I said, we're going to make small batches, right? I already figured out supply chain with our, our, you know, preferred vendors. You know, I've got our plastic supply done. I know how to get my things upfitted. Now what I do is I'm, in the process of just starting an inventorying stocking program, we're going to have a couple now available, right? Because I want to be able to supply these quicker. That gives us the ability to produce better with better margin because I'll do a few at a time. Now I'll inventory them so I can supply them to the market faster. So once people learn about that, they're going to be really hot on us. Our, our sales should go up faster because they know we got them. And we're going to be a preferred vendor because when towns and cities and corporations start specking a product, they then name us as a preferred vendor. And now they know they can reorder from us because it's already been through their engineering departments for approval. So when they did one, now they can do 10, right? So it's an easy thing. You know, so one of our clients who has hundreds of commercial retail locations already has put a few in and they're talking about doing a hundred more. That's a lot. 
it's a real good well because the, the thing that kills our margins of course is the amount of time we spend configuring the deal and talking to the client and going through the permitting and this and anything if that turns into a highly automated well here's the spec but i mean but boom uh, all of a sudden we do all that staff time is dramatically reduced not only can we do more but we're making more money on each job right right and it makes it easier for everybody because then you're repeating tasks you know so you get better at the task you know nobody wants to invent on the fly right it's okay to make small customizations some sizing changes some pump you know horsepower changes nothing too complicated but to redesign an entire thing from scratch or have to do custom builds that's time consuming on the engineering side plus you have some risk of whether it works the, the way you think it's going to work in the real world versus when you stamp out a standardized product you know it's working and now you make incremental improvements to efficiency or certain parts on it so that it just gets easier and better to manufacture more cost efficient more deployable and then you start moving into deployment See, when you start thinking about how efficiently can I deploy something, how well can I put it in the ground? How well can I provide service to the customer channel? How easy can I make the job for the engineer who's on site and for the sales team who, who sold it? How can I make them more money and be more profitable to the guy who bought it from me and does the job on the ground? Now you're asking all the right questions that are business questions that really matter to scaling. Mm-hmm. Right? Because now I'm making this a profitable business for my dealerships. And I'm making this great for the distributors and for the guys who do the, the pumping halls and the trucking, because these guys do it everywhere. And they're going to, when they have a good experience, they're going to be like, I love working with Origin Clear. I love working with the Veramod system. I want to do that again. And then they order more. And it's, that's really what we're getting ourselves into. So we're going to have to improve some customer service uh, because now we'll have to do some account management improvement as well because we'll have to deal with the volume plus you know managing the supply chain as well for those guys but that's that's a good problem to have you know as a version of happy wife happy marriage right your channel partner is happy uh all of a sudden things start to really work they if they make more money uh you know obviously you know you people go where the money is i wanted to uh, briefly discuss um for for both PWT and AWS is your new business channels. We're doing really well, I guess, with manufacturer sales reps who know who we are, what we're good for, right? Yeah. Uh, we can else, add more. Who else is giving us business? Uh, the consulting engineers who we've traditionally worked with. These are guys that are doing the product management engineering. A lot of civil engineers, environmental engineers. They're really bread and butter for the industry. Uh, the specifiers, they'll go in, they'll be on a project site or be working with the developers or, you know, the facilities managers. And they have a general idea of the engineering requirements at that site. And they're always working on what the water quality condition requirements are for their municipality. So they have a lot of the detail about, you know, what we require in order to give the final spec, you know, back with the equipment. So they're, they're very good at their jobs. If we make their jobs easier with standardized packages it's a headache off their plate. They feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the beauties of MWS is, is of course, that uh, we are specced in. Our design is locked, so we, it's hard for anybody else to steal the business, which is good news. Nobody um, wants to steal the business. That's the interesting thing. They just want to do the business. Like, it's, it's a weird way of explaining it. Like, um, Dan and I actually did a calculation on this. There's a couple other vendors who, who do some similar kind of things. If you took everybody and lined them all up, the, the ability for all of us and our competitors to meet the demand the market has, none of us could do it. Wow. None of us. All together, we couldn't meet the requirement. There's that much business out there. That is stunning. That's really stunning. Well, that's th- this is some really great news. And uh, I love the expansion that's occurring. Uh, I love how Dan and you have invested in um, multiple, uh, you know, fabricators so that, you know, unlike modular, uh, unless progressive, which builds everything in one place, you potentially have a manufacturing network and internationalize it. This could be fun. It could be fun. So, uh, you know, when you're working with Ken and the team to kind of like professionalize the way the investment's working to connect it to doing a spinoff, it's not just about the spinoff, it's about establishing and professionalizing 
the business unit around the product line, right? Mm. Because the product line for pump stations has a different business cycle and sales cycle that's a little different than the water treatment side mm. on waste or, or drinking water systems. It goes faster. It can also be placed into third-party manufacturing partners. Mm. I do a lot of my work, not just in my facility, but also in others. And in order to scale a business, I'd want to regionalize it a little bit because if I'm supplying Kansas or Atlanta, you know, I can have a facility that makes my equipment closer to my end destination so I have less mm. distribution travel point. Versus if I need to do things in Seattle, I'd probably go find somebody up in that region to supply that market, right? There's no reason to take something and build it in Tennessee and then drive it all the way to Seattle, right? So instead, I'd rather have two third-party manufacturers working with me who can make the equipment. And then it also lets me scale twice as fast. It's fascinating how not too long ago, we would have gone, oh, we got to set up manufacturing in China. That's gone. Everything is local. No, and that's an amazing, amazing trend. And I think it's healthy. It's healthy and it's the right thing to do because the truth is manufacturing come back to the United States to service these opportunities, but it's also really about core competency. You know, there's a lot of discussions about did anybody lose their edge, so to speak, in core competencies of manufacturing when we got into this trend of outsourcing to China or India. Of course. And Sometimes you could say yes, because we maybe didn't build a generation younger than ourselves who knew how to manufacture domestically the right way and keep an eye on it and care. The water industry has a lot of older gentlemen in it who are phasing into their 60s now. You know, they're in their 50s, 60s, 70s. There is a new generation coming in that's in their 30s and 40s, which is nice. Um, They're eager to learn how to do things the right way. There's a tremendous amount of manufacturing capacity out here in the United States, whether it's, you know, folks who do metal bending or welding or, you know, plastic extruding, all the different things that go into fabrication of these pieces of equipment, huge supply chain available. And there's large companies that actually have great history supplying things. You know, sometimes we say, oh, we compete with General Electric. But I think sometimes, no, I buy some parts from them, right? Sure. So it's either a supplier. Right. You got to just rethink who your partners are versus your competitors. Like, there's a whole new wave taking place of rethinking who are you competing or are you collaborating? And I really think we're collaborating now. It's a different, different market. Well, it's, uh, this is all great to hear. I can tell you've got your challenges, but it looks very optimistic. Tom, I really appreciate the hard work you're doing. Uh, I know that you're driving. Drive it, you know, you're, you're driving the day, as they say, um, but, you know, you, you, you're building a great team. Um, I love the quality of what's going on. Uh, I'm super bullish about the balance of the year. And then 2023 is a whole new game, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think this year I, I'm really solid about where we're heading and what we're doing. It's been pretty consistent. And next year, it's so much opportunity for us. You know, I, I, I'm kind of excited about it. Plus, I really think some of the market forces that have been strange that you talk about on the economic side, you know, hopefully we'll have a little bit of clarity into that you know, next year. And I think once some of that goes away, it eases people up. And I think they're just more excited to do more business. Well, with that, I really wanted to tell you that we appreciate what's going on because it makes our job easier in terms of creating all these launch schedules for all these ventures that we're doing. So thank you, Tom. And um, let's keep pitching base, okay? Absolutely. Have a nice day. Have fun. All right. Thank you, Tom. Well, that was a lengthy, but I think really, really enlightening discussion with the day-to-day guy, the chief operating officer, Tom Marchesello. Now, there's so much content, and I have to say that, frankly, we're not going to fit it all in. So um, I am going to jump back into the the PowerPoint. So um, really fast, I'm going to cover a couple things here. One of the things is, is we talk about this revenue thing. What is revenue versus sales? This is a financial accounting standards board. And um, what they're talking about here is best shown in a chart that I created where the contract is signed. And this is a sample payment schedule. And as you can see, we can only recognize, let's say there was a million dollar project. Well, only you know, $50,000 can be recognized with the PO and 10% with the uh, piping and instrumentation diagram, et cetera, and on and on and on. And that is the challenge of revenue, right? 
and what is called revenue recognition. I'm not going to go too deep into it. I have a very short three-minute video that Dan shot this today, this evening. I'm going to play that. There's a very, very good update on Water On Demand, the pilot, which we're going to have to push to next week. But let me go ahead and, and play. This is the town of Colwood, West Virginia. And uh, this catch Dan doing his thing here. Good afternoon. This is Dan Early, Chief Engineer with Origin Clear and Modular Water Systems, coming to you live from inside one of our latest Ivera Box modular equipment buildings. And this is for a customer of ours that we're uh, soon to deliver a complete package of Veritreat wastewater treatment system with our modular equipment building. Uh, scheduled to ship that out here in the next uh, week or two to, to the contractor that's going to do the final installation at the project site. Um, just want to just share um, a quick walkthrough. I'm going to show uh, the audience um, what the inside of one of our modular equipment buildings looks like. And this is um, a larger, bigger brother version of the Averbox unit that uh, we just recently delivered for um, the Beaver Falls Municipal Authority customer in Pennsylvania. Uh, as you may recall, uh, we just um, did a press release and announcement on that, and that was a system, a much smaller system, about a 20-foot long uh, structurally reinforced thermoplastic building. And this one, that what I'm in right now, is going to be a much larger version. This is our 40-foot building, and this one's kind of unique in that this building actually is compartmentalized. It means that it has multiple rooms in it. Uh, we have, and I'm going to flip the screen around and do a walkthrough, but Tom, here is... On one side, we have our modular equipment building with its office space. This is the space where the operator would act, he will function on a daily basis. We've got a service sink, lab sink. We have all of our supply cabinetry. Uh, actually, this is an HVAC air-conditioned space with that PTAC unit through the wall. Uh, and this gives the, uh, the equipment facility uh, the ability to use a modular factory assembled equipment building as a complement to their wastewater treatment package. Uh, this avoids building uh, the sticks and bricks custom erected wastewater treatment plant building at a facility. Uh, much more efficient, much quicker, uh, very fast delivery, very rapid installation, and it's an integral component to our wastewater treatment systems. So what you'll see You'll see some of our aeration skids, some of the technical equipment used for the wastewater treatment process, uh, the electrical control panel, it's in its final state of sub-assembly or final assembly, uh, emergency eyewash station, courtesy sinks, uh, chemical feed systems, and that type of thing. So this is very typical of what you would see when we ship out a modular wastewater treatment facility. Um, it would be uh, the influent lift stations, it would be the package treatment equipment tank systems, and the modular Everabox equipment system. So a quick walkthrough. Uh, again, as I mentioned, this one here is probably within about three or four days of being complete, and it will be shipped out to our customer in West Virginia. So that is a 17,500 gallon per day system. And what we're talking about here is this Avera box, which there'll be more about it next week. So stay tuned. And in fact, I'm going to tease you on this uh, water on demand update, which I'm not going to show you the commercial pilot update. Next week, we, we're going to cover forever chemicals. Remember that we have a system that takes care of the forever chemicals, the dramatic situation with drought in the US and Europe, the Rhine running dry, which is ridiculous. Dan says, I just shot two more three minute clips. He's got a US automotive assembly plant an international government installation, and a power plant water cleanup system, and also a walkthrough with these 10,000 per day membrane bioreactor units for a housing development and a mobile home park. So we'll see you next week on that. And that is all I dare cover today. Ken, uh, let's bring you in to wrap it up. All this business near my house, we, we've, got the, we've got the car dealer in Cranberry. We've got, uh, we've got uh, Beaver Falls about 15 20 minutes past that um Colwood, west virginia is a bit farther away yes it is it's it's about two hours look i uh, so here's so here's what um in listening to tom now again I'm, uh, 
just the, 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 the you know the kind of the the, the scientist mind here. Um, you're hearing the formation of the system changes and the and the those those small. In, uh, Tom described them as incremental improvements and efficiency. Right? Mm-hmm. This is what companies like Amazon did in the beginning, right? First, they were, you know, they were shipping stuff, you know, very expensively. Then they started to develop their own fleet of trucks. We've gone from a company that had an idea on how we could change the water business to implementing. Now we're actually working on improving how we're implementing. I think what's really exciting is to have that, um, to have that um, inventory of shells. Um, the ability to to deliver like that is amazing. You know, I, I walked into a, uh, my wife's releases up. I walk into a dealership with money in hand and no one can get me the, you know, because of you know, supply chains, you know, because, we, you know, we have, you know, we can sell you the car you don't want for twice the money, though. I was like, oh, really? Promise? Um, but the point is, is I left that place without a car. Right. So it's not only having a superior product. Um, what Tom didn't mention, and I know you have, is serendipitous nature of that high density polyethylene is not going through these terrible supplies. This is a locally sourced um, product, right? It's a very it's low tech product. And you're right that uh, polyethylene and polypropylene are, are, do not rely on China or anything like that. It's killing our competitors, fiberglass, steel, and to a lesser degree, concrete, because it has bigger problems. So make the natural partners say, you guys are, you guys are allowed. You can play, just come in and, and, and adopt our technology. And that, and that, and that is the, you know, that's that beginning, that domino effect of, of scalability that, you know, that we, we aspire to. So that's exciting. Stuff. Yeah, no, I'm actually being more ruthless than that. We're just going to kill them. Okay. <laughs> that works too. We got well, um, a scar, Scarface what, over here. Uh, what, what's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nick, my little friend. So but what we have is, is we're starting to create national accounts, right? Yes, Where, right. Exactly. And, and they're going never, no, we want the other guy, right? They're jumping. I, my understanding is that, that, you know, we want to get to a place where they're bypassing the bidding process. So we already know who we want. We already know who we want. Right. Um, and I think that that becomes, that's when the, truly you get a change. With that, we're up to the, uh, we, we don't like yes. to go over an hour. So um, to talk to Ken, just schedule a call, oc.gold slash Ken. We have a ton next week. Like I say, the Water On Demand commercial pilot that is already recorded, the update on that, we will have to push to next week. And I've got more from Dan. We've got more on our clean water initiative, which is growing fast. It is probably the fastest growing new product area of ours. I tell you, there's so much news. And of course, we're going to discuss the terrible state of water stewarding, stewardship in both America and Europe. So that is what it's all about. And uh, Shannon, Shannon, who would talk to us on the chat, Shannon, you had the, the, the link there, uh, oc.gold forward slash Ken. Um, uh, so my, my staff will get you on my calendar ASAP. Wow. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining. It's very detailed. I know that it got into the specifics, but this is, you know, this is uh, the water industry and you can tell that so much is coming together. And I appreciate your patience. So many of you stuck around to the very, very, very end. So thank you. It's been a wonderful briefing. Please show up next week. We're going to have much more exciting stuff to continue. So thank you, Ken. Thank you all. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.